something that all the money in the world can't buy you can get it Praise the Lord. How many of you believe that the church needs to go to the streets and let the world know who we are? Well, you're going to have a chance this Saturday. I want you to come with your pastor. We're going to go to the world and let them know where we stand when it comes to killing babies. We will be out on Napoleon Avenue, not Napoleon, but Claiborne off of Napoleon Avenue in front of the, the abortion clinic, the murdering station. If you're familiar with it, it's on South Claiborne. We're going to be there protesting. How many ever protested anything? We're going to be out there protesting, letting the world know how we feel as a church about killing babies. Okay, it might be cold, might be raining. I was out there in the rain, in the cold. It don't matter. You got to go out there. I want to invite you to be with your pastor out there on Claiborne Avenue and let 
the world know what we're going to stand for. Now, I got to warn you, there are going to be cars passing there. They're going to be blowing their horn, thanking us for being there. And then you're going to have others that's going to pass there and curse you out. It's okay. It ain't going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt you. Hallelujah. You've been cursed before, haven't you? So let's go out there, and I'd like to see as many of you out there as possible. There'll be some other churches out there with it. We've got two other churches. They'll be there, and there'll be other churches there, and there'll be some preaching. There'll be some signs that we're going to have out there on the neutral ground, and uh, we're going to be in front of Planned Parenthood, if you can understand the demonic activity that goes on there. We've been in front of abortion clinics for years, and thank God that we've shut many of them down. And I think there's only one or two left in Louisiana, and I'm hoping that they're going to be gone. If you want to kill your baby, you're going to have to go to another state to do it. You're not going to do it here. So I believe 50 years ago when they passed Roe versus Wade that I believe it was because the church did not stand up. We can't do it no more. How many know that God hates the shedding of innocent blood? That's what's happening. Babies are being torn apart. We got to stand for what God stands for. So be with your pastor. We're going to be out there. Uh, it's for 10 o'clock. I'm going to hit there probably about 10.30. So if I'll see you there at 10.30, we'll be out there an hour and a half, and, uh, and we're going to do our part. I want our church to be a part of it. We need to be bold in what we believe, and that's, that's a bold statement when you go out in the street and you protest the, the, the immoral actions that's going on in a building across the street. So... Well, praise the Lord. I'll see you there. What a great vision meeting we had Wednesday night. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, that was, that was uh, exciting. It, it encouraged me as a pastor to see you here. And we have a lot of great ministry coming our way this year. As I mentioned in the vision meeting, we're going to have some seasoned people. Let's see, I'm going to have our presbyters come, three of our presbyters will be speaking throughout the year. So you're going to be hearing from some seasoned people. Uh, my pastor, Brother Rod Aguilard, was in the, the beginning of the pro-life movement. They've been in jail for protesting against abortion clinics. These are people who are seasoned. You will be hearing from them this year. And you also heard how our, last year our attendance doubled. We started this church with about 30 people, and we averaged almost 60 uh, last year. And we believe in God's going to do the same thing again this year, that this place will be full. And you're going to have to get here early if you want a seat, because we only can seat 75 in here. So you, if you want a seat, you're going to have to get here early. And we also revealed to you how God blessed us financially. And I told you that Wednesday night. And we're going to believe that God's going to continue to do it. Uh, we're, we're not here by accident. We're here by divine calling of God to come here. 
I know there's many churches. I told the Lord, they got a lot of churches around. Why? No, I want you to come. Because I believe God's going to do something special with this ministry here. So, well, praise the Lord. Last week, we, I brought you the message. We pressed the reset button. We got the reset button pressed. So now we can head into year 2022 uh, with... Uh, a clear path for us. So I'm going to begin this year with a five-part series uh, that I entitle What It Means to Be a Christian. It's going to be five parts. As your pastor, I know some of you here are, are very new to Christianity. So I'm going to mix. I know the greatest challenge, especially when I was in Chalmette, I had 600 people. We're getting people saved every week. So I had people sitting on on the, on the seats that just got saved last week and then others that's been saved for 40 years. Who do you talk to? Well, I got to talk to everybody. So I got to throw some meat out there and throw splash some milk here and, and uh, what have you. And maybe a sandwich to somebody, whatever the case may be. But that's the, that's the challenge for a pastor when he gets up to preach you got to realize, who am I preaching to? So you got to bear with me. I got a lot to say this morning. A lot's going to go down. So stick with me. So we're going to go deep into this subject on what it means to be a Christian because you just might be here holding on to something uh, that is not true. How many want the truth? Now, you might be holding on to something that's true. You might have formed some kind of image of what you think Christianity is. It can be shattered with the truth. God can break through that. There are many misconceptions as to what the Christian life consists of, and it stems from we got traditional denominations, we got traditions of men, we got church rituals, we got forms of liturgy. Uh, we got outward appearances. We got a lot of church practices that if you think that that's all it is to Christianity, then you're going to learn a lot these next five weeks. There are a lot of things taught under the Christian flag that are, that are not biblically based, okay? So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on negative things. That reminded me of a story I heard about a bank that sent their, their employees to a conference on how to recognize counterfeit money. And when they came back, everybody asked them, did, did they have a lot of counterfeit money there for you to look at? They said, no, we didn't see one counterfeit bill. He says, they taught us what the real thing looked like. When you know what the real thing looks like, when somebody hands you a bogus bill, you're going to laugh at it. Well, that's what I'm hoping to do these next five weeks, that we're going to know the real thing. So when the, the, when the, when the counterfeit thing comes, you can laugh at it. I'm not going to go for that. So that thing's... We're going to look at things that have either been mistaken or confused or inadequate when we focus on what the, the, the truth is and what is real. 
So what does it really mean to be a follower of Christ? Well, we will take the positive lie that the Bible lays out for us, and we're going to know the truth. Truth will transcend the common concept. See, there's a common concept out there of Christianity. So there's going to be a deeper revelation in the Word of God, and we're going to see. So I want to start here first, what Jesus said. In John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth will set you free from what? What is he going to, truth is going to set you free from what? Free from misconceptions on who Jesus is. That's the problem. There's very, there's a lot of Jesus being preached out there. But they're not all the real Jesus. So the truth is going to let us know who Jesus really is. Why is there so much diversity in Christianity? Why you got this group, that group, the other group? Well, I'll tell you. It's only because somehow there's a lack of truth somewhere to where we're flying different flags under Christianity. You got the Baptist, you got the Catholic, you got the Methodist, you got this. Some sprinkle, some dip, some don't, everything. Everything is different. But it can only be because of lack of truth. We don't have the whole picture here. And when we have the whole picture, then we'll know the truth about who Jesus is. So I titled this first message on what it means to be a Christian. I titled it The Great Significance. See, there's a great significance to Christianity. It's the greatest thing that has ever been revealed in this world, and there will never be anything more significant than that. We will never appreciate anything in the Word of God until we see Christianity in its entirety. Not pieces of it, but the whole thing. We got to see Christianity as more than a religion that started 2,000 years ago. The Christian life begins with Christ. I think we can all agree on that. Without Christ, you don't have no Christianity. So we can all agree that Christ is the common ground here. So the word Christian means a follower of Jesus Christ. And to say that Christianity begins with Jesus, it's true. But only if we put Jesus in his rightful place. He's got to be in his rightful setting. But neither Christianity nor the Christian life begins with the historical Jesus. See, there's a historical Jesus. Everybody in the world knows he was here. He was a man in history. That's not what we're going to base our life on, is a historical Jesus, which history uh, really uh, records. Christianity really didn't begin when Jesus was born. It didn't really begin when he died. It really didn't begin when he rose again. It didn't begin when he ascended into heaven. 
And this is where we got to make a big adjustment here. We know what the Bible reveals about Jesus. Jesus Christ was in eternity before time began. It didn't start 2,000 years ago. See, the world sees Christianity, and if you've ever talked to people and tried to witness to people, they say, you know, Christianity is only 2,000 years old. They had religions way before that. Well, I hate to tell you that Jesus didn't come to give us a new religion. He came to give us a life, not religion. He came to give us a life. They, don't, they didn't know that Jesus didn't come for that. They had many religions. In fact, Jesus came against the religions. Jesus came against the religious people. Now, if you know your Gospels well enough, you will know that each gospel writer had a different take on Jesus, on different recording what the life and teaching of Jesus was. Now, if you are familiar with it, Jesus' life start at different times in the gospel. In the gospel of Matthew, Matthew takes the genealogy record. If you see all the names where where Jesus was connected to, his genealogy chart. Matthew brought him back to Abraham. That's where Matthew brought him. Mark begins Jesus' life and ministry at the Jordan River with John the Baptist. That's when he began recording where Jesus was and what he did. Now, the Gospel of Luke, if you read the genealogy, takes it back further to Adam. Takes it back to Adam. Takes Jesus back to Adam. Now, the Gospel of John goes further than that. The Gospel of John in John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, <laughs> in the beginning, whenever the beginning was, Jesus was there. So Jesus is not a new thing. Jesus is an eternal thing. The Son of God was there. In the beginning was the Word with God, and the Word was God. Jesus reveals his existence before time even began. Look, look what, what, what Jesus, in John chapter 17, in his high priest prayer, he says this in verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus existed before the world began. So the significance of Christianity is that we're connected to someone who always was. He didn't just show up. He always was. And he always will be. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1.17, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The plan of salvation, which is the basis of Christianity, was laid before the creation of the world. Look at this in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. It says, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, whose name... All whose names 
have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain before the creation of the world. This, this, what we have is not 2,000 years old. What we have now was in God's plan before he even created the world. So what we're connected to goes way back, way back to God. Now, Christianity began before the world was even created. It's not just 2,000 years old. So if anybody tells you that, say, hey, no, we got to go back further than that. We got to go back to the beginning. Christ existed before anything came into existence. He is God. He created everything that exists. We're not following a man, even though he came as a man. We're not following a man. We now have relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. He came to connect us to the Father. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, says, Who in being very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Equal with God on equality with God, that was his position. He came as one of us, but he was equal to God because he is God. He came with a purpose, though. He came, he was appointed for. So let's look at his appointment. When you look at his appointment, we'll understand who Jesus is. Hebrews 1, 1 says this, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Bible says, you know, in times past, God sent men. He sent men, the prophets, to speak to his people. But not in these last days. These last days, he sent his own son to come and speak to us. So in these last days, God spoke to his son. He is appointed heir of all things. I like that because Paul says we are joined as with him. I don't know if that means anything to you. The scripture says the father has given everything to Jesus. And I'm a joint heir. That means I'm getting it too. That ought to make you live right. I'm getting it all. He's getting it all. I'm joint heirs with him. I'm going to be hooked up with him. I'm going to get everything too. Talking about finding a treasure. I found it. Hallelujah. And I sold out to it. So. So out of his eternal existence, he has relationship with God. So fellowship with God and also an appointment of God. He came here for a reason. So with that, he is the creator of the world. Jesus Christ is the agent of creation. Okay, I want you all to follow me. Keep, keep track with me now. In John 1, 3, it says, through, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He created the world. He didn't create this condition that the world is in. 
but he did create the world. And in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is the reason for creation. He created it, everything. If we remove him out of creation, it would disintegrate. He's holding everything together. When he was crucified on the cross, if you read in the gospel, when he was crucified and died, the earth began to be in chaos. There was a great earthquake. The moon was dark. Everything got dark. Why? Because the one who created creation is now rejected. So there was a great earthquake. He is the meaning of creation and the purpose of creation. Without him, creation has no meaning. You got that? And stick with me. Without him, creation has no meaning. What about me? What about you? You were created. You didn't create yourself. Your mom and daddy didn't create you. Of course, they got together. God used them, and bow, out came you. <laughs> they didn't know what you were going to look like. They didn't know what your gender was. But, but you came out. God created you. God created me. Now, if I've, God created the creation to have a purpose. If God created me, I got a purpose. Guess what? It ain't my purpose. It's not your purpose. Your purpose got you in trouble. His purpose brings blessing. His purpose brings peace and joy and happiness. Your purpose will lead you to destruction. Remember, we didn't create ourselves. The one who created us, who is Jesus, the one who we're following, has a purpose for our life. And it doesn't matter how much education you have, how much money you have, what position you have, what fortune or fame you have. It has no meaning unless Christ is the center of it. Anybody that doesn't have Christ as center of their life, they're living their life with no meaning because in the end, it will mean nothing. You know, we look at a lot of rich people, you know, they got billionaires, all oh, they got stuff, they got yachts, they got everything. But you want me to tell you something? If they don't have Christ, that's all they're getting. That's it. They better enjoy it because in the end, it's over. But not to us, not to join the heirs of Christ. <laughs> Once I realize that, I said, I'm, I'm going to the end. I'm, I'm going all the way. The first thing a person is conscious of when they find Christ is the meaning of their very existence. When somebody, when you get born again and the Spirit of God comes in you, you realize, wow, my life has meaning now. Uh, my life has purpose now. See, I'm not just living out there hoping something happens. No, something already happened. I'm a child of God now. See, they discover that their life is no accident. See, I'm not an accident. 
I'm here. This wasn't my idea preaching, but that was God's idea. It wasn't no accident. He purposed that in my life. Just like he's going to purpose your life. See, that God created us, life takes on its true meaning. That's the greatest thing is to have meaning in your life. We become united with the purpose of God in his creation. All of a sudden now we become in tune with God. Before you were running from God. You were wrecking your life. You are wrecking everything you touch. But now once we come and get connected to God, I'm in his purpose. Listen, the past 50 years, I didn't. When God saved me, if he had told me I'd be right here right now preaching to you, I would probably ran out. I didn't know what God's plan for my life was. You don't know either. But I tell you this, if you walk with him, you'll find out what it is. You walk with him, you're going to find out that the way he's leading you is better than where you want to lead yourself. His plan is better. Why? Because he created us. He has a purpose for you and I. That life, all of a sudden, your life comes into order. Everything becomes in order now. Before, your life was chaotic, running to and fro, trying to put pieces together. But now we are integrated into God's purpose for his plan. Now let's come back for a moment and look at Jesus once again. There were three things we must keep in mind. Jesus' likeness to God. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. When somebody saw Jesus, they saw God. Imagine that. John, John said he was God in flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus' oneness with God in John 1.1, 1, 1, we read that. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. See, the world looks at Jesus as another religious figure. Forget about all that. Forget about all that. He is the agency of God's purpose and work in this world. John 6.38, Jesus said, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the person that you and I are following, or we supposed to be following. He had three full purpose for coming to earth. And we are to follow him if we claim to be Christians. Then his purpose then now becomes our purpose. You got that? His purpose now for coming now becomes our purpose for existing, because now we are new creations in Christ. His purpose becomes our purpose. Now let's turn to what the Bible says about us, because the three things Jesus was in the world for is now our purpose as a Christian. So you want to know what it is to be a Christian? Okay, man was made to represent God. Corinthians 5.20 says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are here now to represent God. Now, that's only possible if we have some likeness to God. 
See, if we're going to do that, if we're going to be an ambassador of Christ, ambassador of God, somehow we have to have some kind of likeness of him. So the first thing that says about man is this in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. You got that? God made us man in his image. This is a divine concept, the divine idea that God had for mankind. Surely this is saying that we must represent God now. The problem is, is that man lost that image. See, why did God say, let's make man in our image? An image is something that represents the thing that it looks like. It's an image. The disciple Philip asked Jesus in the gospel, in John 14, 9, what, what Philip wanted, he said, he said, Master, just show us who the Father is. He said, because if we can see who the Father is, then we will be satisfied. Look what Jesus said. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? In other words, haven't you seen what I did? I healed the sick, raised the dead, saved people, forgave people. I've done everything God does. Everything you'd want God to do, I did. You don't know me now? Jesus was saying, I am the image of my Father. See, if man was created in the image of God, then he should bear some type of likeness to God. We should have some kind of characteristics of his nature. See, if you would meet somebody who bears the divine concept, that God has for us, you would have some idea what God is like. Now, when you meet that person, you would say, well, wow, I feel like I met God. Let me tell you something. There was a man here when we first started the church in, uh, uh, in Kenner. We was meeting on Saturday night in Brother Bill Shank's church. There was a friend of my brother that, that he was in, in the hospital fighting cancer. He wasn't saved. Went over there. We prayed with him. I led him to Christ. And he started coming to church. He started coming to church for a few weeks. But he was getting weaker and weaker. Okay? And I remember the last Saturday, the Saturday before he died. It was right before we started service. Was in was on Williams Boulevard. And he walked in the door. And I seen him. And he walked up to me, he says, Pastor, he says, when I see you, he says, it's like I'm looking at an angel. I knew what he was talking about. He was seeing the Holy Ghost. He said, when I see you, he says, I'm looking at an angel. See, and I knew right then and there it was, it was going to be a short time for him to go. See, somehow, some way, if we want to truly be Christian, somehow we got to be representing the characteristics of God. We got to be holy. We got to be righteous. We got to be living right. We can't be contaminated with the things of the world. We can't be disobeying God's word. 
See, that's what God's intention is for a Christian. That's what, what, what he designed, his concept, his intention, his idea for man. See, the world should recognize that we're different people. I want to tell you that. They should recognize that you're a different person. Apostle Peter said this in his first epistle in 1 Peter 2.9. I'm reading it out of King James Version. He said, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He said, God has chosen you to be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. In other words, a strange people in this world. That we don't live like they live. We don't talk like they talk. We don't do what they do. We don't go where they go. We're different. We love people. We don't talk about people. We don't gossip about people. We don't hate people. We don't do those things. See, our representation of Christ should be a full one, not a partial one. Not just getting dressed on Sunday to go to church. That's all people see of us. No, every day they see us, we ought to be representing the God that we serve. We ought to be an ambassador to the God that we serve, the God that changed our life, the God that made a new creature out of us. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, full life. That's what he's offering us, a full life, that we can have a full life and represent Christ on earth. All our talking about God and Christ is utterly worthless if they're not seeing it in us. Don't go shooting your mouth off about how much you know about God and how much you know about the Word and how much you know about Jesus unless they can see it. Because if they can see it, it will mean more than the multitude of words and phrases that you can come up with. See, man was endowed to have the divine nature of God. And I love this verse of Scripture. In other words, God should be found in his creation. If we're a new creation, that's what the Bible says, what, what Paul said. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. King James says a new creature. You're a new person. The, the old, old things have passed away. Everything's become new now. So that means you're a different person than what you are. He got rid of that, made it new. Now, the Apostle Peter puts it this way. 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desire. 
Now, you want to escape the corruption that's in the world? Then somehow you're going to have to partake of the divine nature of God. Somehow we've got to be acting like God. Somehow we've got to have the nature of God. That's what God intended for us to be. He created us in the image and likeness of him. Not just the image, but the likeness of who we are in Christ. I love these verses because Peter said, through great and precious promises, we may partake. I can partake of it. We can, uh, we can participate in the divine nature of God. I can have some likeness of God if I want it. I want it. If you claim to be a Christian, you should want it. I want to be like God. I want his nature. I don't want my old nature. I don't want the old sinful nature. I want his nature. And when we do that, Peter says we escape the corruption of the world. You want to know how you can escape all that that's going on out there? Have the nature of God in you. And you can escape it. Remember what I was telling you about the counterfeit money? If you know what is real, you ain't going to want what is the bogus. Well, if your life is godly, then when the ungodly approaches you, you push it away. You push it away. Want that? That's not God. That's not God. God don't act that way. God doesn't participate in that. See, the divine nature in us will cause us to escape the corruption. When we escape the corruption, then people are going to say, that's a Christian. In the book of Acts, the book of Acts says they, they were first called Christians in the city of Antioch. Guess who was calling them Christians? It wasn't the church. It was the people of the world. They were saying, look at those Christians. Look at those Christians. They're peculiar. They're different. They're followers of Jesus. That divine nature is what separates us from the world. True Christianity from religion. They want religion. I had people say, Carl, you got religion. No, I don't. No religion. I got life. I got Christ. Religion is no more than the works of the flesh, which stinks. Christianity is participating in the divine nature of God that is produced in us by his power. It only comes from being born again by faith. It's only by possessing divine nature that we can actually represent God. Man shares oneness in life. What God intended for man was lost in the garden. We read the scriptures. It was lost. God, what we have is not what God intended for us. The failure of man, this is what I'm going to cover next week, so be here next week. We, that's, we got to understand why man is a failure. You can understand how God can save us. God intended man to have 
inherit eternal life and all that God created for him. But man lost that privilege because of disobedience. So all the children of Adam, even up to our present time, right now, have never possessed a divine life without Jesus. See, God's given us a second shot here. We, he's given us another shot here. He says, listen, I took care of it on the cross. See, man has never possessed the divine nature of God without Jesus Christ. I don't know if you experienced what I experienced when I got saved. I knew somehow I tapped into something supernatural. The supernatural. It wasn't religion. I didn't even know what kind of church it was. I, I did. All I knew is I heard Jesus preach. The cross, the blood, all of that, that's what I needed. All I needed to know is what's going to get me back to square one. And Jesus did it. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the life he's talking about, what Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The life he's talking about is divine nature. The nature of God is what he's talking about. And it only comes when we're conforming to be at one with God. When we say, God, I, I want to I hook up with you. I want you. I'm lost. I need you to show me. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Paul said, Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are God's children, then we are heirs. He is heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we also will share in his glory. You might suffer a little bit Saturday. You might be cursed at out there on the street, but that's okay. We'll suffer a little bit with Jesus. But we are co-heirs co with Christ. That was God's intention for us in the beginning. Now, Man, true Christianity is when man shares fellowship in God's purpose. You can't be a Christian if you're not participating in the purpose of God. That's why you need the church. The devil would say, I don't need the church. You do need the church. If I wasn't passing, I'd be in church. I need the church. I need to be with God's people. Then again, God's idea for man was not only likeness and oneness, but with fellowship and purpose. God didn't just save you so you can go your way. That's not what he does. He saves you so you can participate in his plan for the world, which includes the church. If you're a part of it, then if you're born again, you're part of the church, whether you like it or not. It's his great and vast purposes in the universe. Psalms chapter 8, verse 4. The psalmist says, What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. 
You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. The New Testament is probably 90% occupied with cooperation with God. You see people cooperating, especially in the book of Acts. You see the church cooperating with God to fulfill his purpose in this world. This is his great purpose as Christians. The Apostle Paul uses this purpose statement, purpose statement, a lot in his letters. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which is a verse of scripture I live by. I've been living by. Once I learned it, I said, I'm going to live by this verse of scripture. If you need to memorize it too, Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have called according to his purpose. In other words, whatever you're facing in life, if you love him, you're committed to him, you're following him, I don't care what you're going through in your life right now, good, bad, or otherwise. It's all going to work out for your good. Why? Because I'm called according to his purpose. His purpose, not your purpose. If you're living your life for your purpose, well, you go go your way. But if you're going to live it for God, God's going to be with you, good, bad, or ugly. He's going to make it work out. I've seen it too many times in my own life. He made bad things work out for me. Ephesians 1.1. Remember that according to his purpose. Let's go to Ephesians 1.11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. See that word purpose? We have a purpose in life. Ephesians 3.10. His intent was that now through the through the what? How are you going to fulfill God's prayer if you ain't blown in church? <laughs> you got to be here. Here or somewhere else, wherever God sent you. But you better be belong to the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, purpose. We have purpose. You can't be a Christian without the purpose of God being in your life. 2 Timothy 1.8 Who has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Now, there are many more references to God's purpose that Christians participate in, but note that all this likeness, all this oneness, life and fellowship and purpose is only because of Jesus. All because none of this could happen apart from him because he is the heir. We are said to be joint heirs with Christ. I love that. that. That's my goal. I want to have everything with him. I don't know what he's going to do. 
He's going to take over the world again. He's going to set us up in, in the authority of the world. He's going to set us up in the government. I don't care what city he gives me. Just give me a city. I'll run it. And we're going to run it in righteousness and godliness. The apostle uses the phrase 200 times in his writing. And that is the phrase, in Christ. In Christ. Nothing apart from Christ. Nothing outside of Christ. It's all in Christ. Inseparately bound up in God's eternal purpose appointed heir of all things. Jesus. To sum up what it means to be a Christian, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been made partakers of God's divine nature. It's this divine nature that sets Christians apart from the world. You want to be set apart. And you'll know it. People will know it. Before I was a pastor, people knew I was a Christian. They'd just say, man, hey, what's up with you? I had people come to me. I led people to Christ. They just wanted to know what it is about your life. What, what, what is it? Look like you got it together. Look like you got a handle on things. I tell them, I got a handle on the things because I got my hand in the hand of Jesus. See, it's this divine nature that sets us apart. That is Christ going to set us apart from a Christ-rejecting world, an ungodly world, apart from those who have just a form of godliness but denying the power. Real Christians represent God here on earth. We have oneness in his divine nature. We have fellowship with his eternal purpose. A Christian is a disciple of Christ making a difference in this world. That's what this church is going to do. We're going to make a difference. We're going to do our part. We're going to make a difference. We're not going to play church. We're going to be the church. We're going to, we're going to be the church. I'm going to close with this, Galatians 2.20. This sums up Christianity. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said it was Christ living in him. That's the divine nature of God living in us. That nature comes to us by God's Holy Spirit. We are saved. God's Spirit comes into us, and His nature begins taking form in us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. I love this scripture. Paul said, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Stand with me.